0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome, everybody, to another exciting... You guys, I am so excited. I know every episode I say I am so excited, but I am. The show, I mean, oh my goodness, the topics I get to uh, discuss and feature on the show, I just get so excited about and I'm so passionate about. So welcome to to the show. We have a great show for you. We are going to talk about jaguars. Now, for those of you who know me or maybe who have been following me on my social media channels, you know that I love big cats. You know, when I started this show nearly 3 years ago, jaguars were at the top of the list of animals I wanted to cover, and I've been trying to, you know, really find an expert to come on the show to talk about them. In particular, I wanted to talk to an expert about the jaguars that are here in the United States. Let me say that one more time. Did you know that we actually have jaguars here in the United States? You guys, this is such a fascinating podcast. On the show, I have Dr. Melanie Culver. She is a scientist from the USGS Fish and Wildlife Cooperative Research Unit and the University of Arizona and she and her team have set up camera traps in Southern Arizona to capture footage of Jaguars and photos. I'll tell you what, this was such a fascinating conversation. Uh, we talk about Jaguars, we talk about the border wall. It is a little controversial, but we talk about the border wall in, you know, between Mexico and Southern Arizona, and we talk of all about the camera trap work. And I'm going to tell you what, I had so many questions for Dr. Culver. For instance, how many jaguars do we have in the United States? How far is their range? Historically, were they found all over? I mean, I just had so many questions. Do we have a breeding population in the States? Where do you see the population in 20 years? Are jaguars a threat to humans? Are they a threat to livestock? We answer all of these questions and more. You are going to love this episode. And this is so fascinating. You know, there's a lot of people who don't realize that we actually have these big cats right here in the States. And make sure to stay tuned for the very, very end of the episode because Dr. Culver shares her favorite facts about Jaguars. And it has to do with Arizona. And it has to do with the fact that they're the only state in the United States that has dot, dot, dot. You're going to have to wait. So it's so fascinating. Before we get to that, as always, please make sure to subscribe to the show uh, wherever you listen to it. And please make sure to give it a rating and a review. Uh, you know, the ratings and reviews are coming in and it just helps get the show out there. We are in the top nature one, um, I guess, top 100 nature podcast on iTunes. The number keeps on climbing and that's all because of you. It's because you're sharing this with friends and family. You know, there's not a lot of people who know we have Jaguars here in the States. And so maybe tag your friend on Facebook, share the episode and let them know. Cause this really is extremely fascinating. And I encourage you to check out my social channels. Follow me on Instagram at Corbin Maxi and on Facebook. And this is, I mean, I'll tell you what you definitely need to follow me on this one because I will be sharing exclusive photos that Dr. Melanie Culver uh, gave us of their camera trap work. And these are exclusive photos and where I'm able to put them on my Instagram. So make sure to go and check them out because you guys, this is oh, it's just so exciting to see these photos. So make sure to go do that. And, as always, if you are looking for something fun to do, remember, every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 10 p.m. Eastern, we do Animal Nights Live. If you're wondering what Animal Nights Live is, that is my weekly late-night show where we feature animals. I have experts on. It is a live, literally a live show. It's like a TV show, just on Facebook, Instagram, and we basically answer your questions. We have a great time. And, once again, it just, it airs live. It's a live broadcast, and we have been in this for nearly 30 weeks. That is correct. 30 weeks we've been filming Animal Nights Live and we have people watching all around the world. So if you are bored on Thursday night, maybe you're trying to fall asleep and you want some last minute entertainment or you want something informational, check out Animal Nights Live, my weekly late night show. Once again, airing every Thursday on my Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. Okay, let's get to it. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Melanie Culver. So excited. You know, I've been doing this show for nearly, I can't believe it, three years. And one of the animals at the top, the very top of my list are the jaguars And I have been trying to find a scientist to talk about these amazing cats, but I wanted to talk about them in the United States, like the reintroduction. And so I was scrolling through the internet trying to find a reputable scientist and I came across Dr. Melanie Culver from the University of Arizona. I found you on the Jaguar research page. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you very much. So tell me what, Why are you so fascinated by jaguars?
0: You know, because I love big cats and I think I really like leopards. For some reason, I've always been fascinated with leopards and I've been to Africa a few times and they've always just evaded me. And I look at our equivalent, I mean, to me, of a leopard in the Americas. And I think of the jaguars, which I know are much bigger, you know, bigger head, this and that. But I think that's why I like them. And I also like the fact that they are now back in their, you know, they're trying to get back into their historical range. And I find that fascinating. And I also find it fascinating because I think a lot of people listening have no idea that we have them in uh, Southern Arizona and Southwestern New Mexico. And I just, and I don't know much about it. And that's why I wanted to talk to you and I'm so excited.
1: Yeah. So you say that they're back some uh, some of us feel maybe they never actually were gone. Yeah, if you look at historical records, um, they're pretty consistent, say, until about 1960s, and then, you know, maybe a 20-year gap, and then people started putting cameras on the ground, and um, then we start getting the occasional mail coming up from Mexico again. So I would say they were probably never Fully gone. I think we did a, a good uh, good job of of trying to eliminate them during the the bounty years. But you know, I think there may have always been that one or two on the ground. It's just without the remote cameras, we we probably missed them. They became um, declared uh, endangered in the seventies, so hunters weren't out there, and without the the hunter kills, we just thought they were gone. So I think they've always been here in very low numbers. Oh at my... least the wandering males.
0: Okay, and can you tell us? Because just fill my audience, you know, in historically where have they been? Like, where's their range? Because when I think of jaguars, and I think a lot of people listening, I think of like Central South America. A lot of people don't think of the states. So historically, where have they been found?
1: Yeah. So in the fossil record, so thousands of years ago, you know, they were even, you know, on the East Coast. You know, they covered much more of the southern U.S., but in the last um, uh, 150 years, they've been as far as the Grand Canyon. Um, And then mostly, you know, the records are are just uh, Arizona, New Mexico. Um, There may have been a record as far as Texas, but today Texas does not seem to be their range just Arizona and New Mexico, and just the very southern, what we call the Sky Islands. Do you know um, what I mean by the Sky Islands? I don't. Fill me in. So at the very end of the Rocky Mountains, the mountain range kind of ends, and it trails out into these isolated mountains, kind of like islands in a sea of desert. You know, we're in the Sonoran Desert. And then the mountain range kind of picks up again in the Sierra Madre in Mexico, with a a connected mountain range, and that's very much of a stronghold for the jaguar, and they continue on down into Mexico. But in this Sky Island range, there's very good habitat on these dotted islands, and several of those islands are where we're picking up the jaguars um, with camera traps. So the the jaguar, um, we started monitoring in 2011, and we had one jaguar that moved from one island to another, so we had a, uh, the same jaguar in two different islands. Then, and that one disappeared in 2015. In 2016, two more jaguars came up, and they went to yet two different sky islands. So, um, overall, we've we've monitored three jaguars okay. um, over our eight years, and they have been in four different mountain ranges.
0: So. Okay. So when I think of the Jaguars, once again, I think of those national geographic specials where they're in the thick tropical forests and they're hunting caiman, you know, those, those crocodilians. So tell me about their habitat on these sky islands, because there aren't any caimans in the sky <laughs> islands. Like they it sounds like this is a pretty adaptable predator, uh, predator, but can we go more into like their habitat there? It sounds like, yeah, I just want to pretty far from um, South America.
1: Yeah. So the habitat is, is interesting. We get them, um, most, in a habitat called Madrean Evergreen Woodland, mm-hmm. which um, is, is somewhere between, um, you know, pine forest and tropical. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a um, habitat fairly unique to this area. Um, it's, it's very wooded, but we also capture them in, um, in desert grassland. So some of our photos show them in actually grassland. Uh, habitat as well. Their diet is very interesting. You mentioned caimans. Um, we find them eating predominantly smaller prey. So um, do you know the large cat they occur, co-occur with around here?
0: Yes, that would be the the mountain lion, right? The cougar? Right. Yes.
1: And, and so we had an opportunity. Um, obviously, there's not a lot of them uh, jaguars here, but uh-huh. um, just across the border, um, there's a, a, an abundance of both puma and jaguars. We had um, quite a few scats, and you can, uh, through genetics, look at the DNA in the scat of both the predator and the prey. So we found that the pumas primarily were eating deer, white-tailed deer. That's their, their number one, and then a variety of other items. The jaguar, while they did eat an occasional deer, um, they primarily were eating the smaller prey, like javelina, which is a, a fairly small um, relative of, of the, you know, uh, pig. And mm-hmm. you know, javelina is in the is in the um, por- uh, porcine family. Um, but also, possum was very big on their diet. Skunk, coatis mm-hmm. seem to be a real what? favorite of theirs around here. Um, even even an occasional bird, you know, like a, a turkey. Yeah. So they just tend to eat a large variety and, um, smaller items. Um, you know, almost like they're just, as they travel through the landscape, they are just opportunists. They eat whatever they come across.
0: So can you tell me, so size wise, how much does a puma weigh compared to the size of a jaguar?
1: Oh, um, they're smaller. Pumas, um, are generally under a hundred pounds. Um, and, and a uh, would uh, be over a hundred pounds, but the puma is much more athletic you know it, just the way they're built they they're much more able to uh, chase down if they were to want to you know so I think they they might be more effective at um, catching a deer you know they're they're just built differently the jaguar is built like a tank they're very <laughs> low to the ground, short legs shorter legs and Strong. Their jaw is incredibly powerful. They're a powerful, strong animal, but the puma is built with the long legs. They they have a short, you know, they can have a, a burst of, of fast running, and I, I think they they do hunt in, a, in very different um, styles.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say because I would think the puma, you know, was smaller, but it's catching larger prey. But it sounds like the jaguar is uh, just a hair more opportunistic with that. Would that be...
1: Yeah, and not that the jaguar can't catch the larger prey, but around here, they s- seem to be um, capitalizing on javelina, coati, and some of the smaller prey. It's just interesting.
0: That is, and I'm sure reptiles are also included on the menu for the jaguars? Or
1: No doubt. In fact, um, I've heard that they um, really do like the tortoises around here. Really? Um, we didn't see any in that small diet study, but you know, the, there's quite, um, you know, couple species of desert tortoise around here. Wow. Yeah. Where they...
0: And back on to how they so they kill their prey dif- differently differently than the puma. So, wouldn't the puma kill by strangulation, where the jaguar would kill by crushing the skull? Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can that's we talk right. about that?
1: Um, well, you know, that's just. Um, one of the features of between the two because the jaguar has such a powerful jaw you know the the strength of the bite they don't have to um i i guess it's just faster for them they just they just take one bite and crush the skull whereas the the puma um has you know does the stranglehold and i think um that's their only option right they they can't i mean if they were strong enough they would probably crush the skull that's probably quicker and um uh, you know very effective but their jaw just isn't that strong
0: has there ever been documentation of a jaguar predating on a puma
1: oh that is an interesting question we have not found puma in their diet i wouldn't be um surprised uh that's a question i can't answer i don't know that um We certainly have puma predating on puma. You know, there's interspecies um, competition there. A jaguar would certainly be capable, but Uh I I don't know of uh, actual examples of that. I do believe, and, and this is something we want to look at in our data, that during the times when a jaguar occupies one of these mountain ranges, um, do we see a, a decrease in abundance of the pumas? Because puma is a very common animal around here. And, um, you know, we tend to think that pumas may move out of the way of the jaguar. Either that or they they tend to um, partition the resources in another way. They do seem to partition the diet differently where puma is a, as a deer specialist. We're um, wanting uh, to look at their... Uh, time of day that they're active you know do the pumas shift the jaguar is very middle of the night they tend to be you know 11 p.m to 2 a.m they really um use around here the really middle of the night whereas puma can be more of a uh early morning late evening animal so they may partition the resources and be able to get along
0: this is so fascinating. I'm just, I'm loving this. So where are the Jaguars? Are they resting in, and I mean in like dens and trees like during the daytime, where are they um, resting? Where do they find refuge? <laughs>
1: Yeah, that is a really good question. And, of course, we don't have radio collars on them. We're, we just have cameras. The biologists who helped set up this project, which mm-hmm. was not me because I'm a geneticist, I had a team of really expert field uh, biologists that really knew um, large cat behavior. They set cameras on corridors that were very likely for large cats to travel along and sure. also – we used water. We know that large mammals like that need to drink every day, so we focused on um, places, especially that would have perennial water during our dry season. We, during uh, May, June, um, and into July, there's no water on the. We get no rain, and so they really depend on these these uh, sources of water during that time of year. And that tends to be sometimes our our higher detection season, where they're really depending on
0: these waters.
1: So. That won't be necessarily where they sleep. So we don't know where they hang out at night.
0: Gosh, I love this. This is just, there's so much we still don't know. I mean, that might drive you crazy, but it's it's so fascinating to me that it's like, you know, there's still, we're in 2020 and there's still so much we have to learn about these animals. And mm-hmm. so can we go back? So they were prevalent in the southern parts of the United States. What happened? Was it like the 1800s when people started eradicating them because they were having conflicts with livestock? Can we go into that a little bit? Because it sounds like they were abundant and then we drove them to near extinction in, in, in the southern United States.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't actually know how abundant they were. I think they were always much um, less abundant than other predators. Okay. But here in southern Arizona, we had a grizzly bear, black bear, uh, Mexican wolf, coyote, um, puma and jaguar. You so had we grizzlies had grizzlies
0: in Southern Arizona. It still blows my mind. Oh my yeah, absolutely.
1: What? So it was quite the complement of predators. And, um, we, um, I, and I do believe we, you know, among those, you know, black bear was always more common than grizzly and puma was always more common than the jaguar. Um, and beyond that, I can't I can't give you more specifics on on how abundant jaguars were. But in the records, there were um, uh, references to kittens. So we know that there was some reproduction going on. In, at you know various uh, documents uh, indicate kittens um, at certain locations uh, historically. Yeah, humans. Because as we moved in and we brought our livestock with us, there was this inevitable human-wildlife conflict. And we tended to have this need to remove uh, predators from the landscape. And that that's what brought jaguars down to um, what I would say is undetectable numbers. But they may have never been completely gone.
0: Completely gone. So I have a question. So how do you think, because I'm sure pumas were... Eradicated as well, like all large carnivores, correct? Why do you think the Pumas had success with their numbers and the jaguars did not because it seems like their population is higher, their density is higher. How are were they able to thrive where the jaguars really were not during that well, time?
1: even I think some of the um you know here in the sky islands, I think some of the mountain ranges um, pumas were uh, eliminated mm-hmm. as well, but you know, pumas have this greater um, connectivity. You know, pumas were eliminated throughout the entire east coast, right? But, but you think of the, the whole entire west, and there's this massive puma population that extended all the way up into Canada. And, you know, a single puma has been documented to disperse 800 miles. So as long as you have some core puma population, they can recolonize. And here in southern Arizona, you know, there it may have taken a while before these sky islands, uh, if, if they were eliminated in any one sky island before it was recolonized. But that central Rocky Mountain area, I think um, it's totally different than the jaguar. You know, that there was this huge core puma population throughout the entire west um, that never was eliminated. The jaguar never was up there. You know, the jaguar just barely had a few fingers um, up into Arizona, their core was way, way down, you know, towards Brazil and, and Central America. And then now they're dispersing. I think what happens is when Mexico, when the Sonora, Mexico population is at carrying capacity, that's when we get these, these uh, dispersing males. And dispersing males are very important. You know, right now we're only getting the males, but in, in the tigers, in India, Ulis Kranth has shown we end up having these non-breeding resident males. You know, they're resident because they stay here for four to 13 years. We had one mm-hmm. documented. This is before I got into the camera work, but there was a documented male in Arizona for 13 years. So they're definitely residents, but they're non-breeding. But those non-breeding residents, this uh, um, study in India has shown those are valuable if they're lucky eventually a female will come but you need to have a very healthy population at caring capacity males go and if it's really at caring capacity eventually a female will go too and then there's your new population
0: so that's why they're so important because when the females disperse they'll finally have a a male with that with those genetics to able to help that population thrive
1: no right if the male isn't there a female goes and they're they won't, you know, they, they, when the female disperses, they depend on the male already being there.
0: Okay. Dr. Cover, I have a question for you. And this might be like, a, this might be a tricky one. And if you don't know it, I get it, but why do you have a theory on why the Jaguar never thrived in the Rockies? Cause it sounds like they're so adaptable. Like, do you have a theory on that or do they just prefer it warmer? Like, I'm just so curious. Cause it just sounds like they are just like, this like top predator, adaptable. They eat almost any type of animal. Like, why would they not thrive in the Rockies? Like the the pumas do.
1: I think they might. You know, I've never thought about that. But just as you're talking, um, our our project documented the first ever photograph of a jaguar in snow. And so in snow. In, in snow. Oh yeah. In our gosh. mountains, you get snow. So wow. I, I think they might. Just do really well in in hot. Okay. I think they are a hot weather animal, and the, rugged is not a problem for them. They love rocky, rugged terrain. So I don't think the Rockies would be a problem, and they can handle dry. Much of the Rockies is very ar- arid. I I think it is the cold. I think I think they're very hot, hot adapted. Okay, And it's just a guess. Yeah, that, that's just you know.
0: I like um, it. I'm going to yeah. go with it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I mean,
1: they are tropical too, right? I mean, yeah. everywhere they live is very tropical um, uh, vegetation wise, you know, the vegetation is, is tropical or semi-tropical. Okay. Even in Southern Arizona, much of the vegetation is considered in that category of, of either dry tropical or semi-tropical. You okay. Know?
0: So, so you, so you start setting camera traps up, you said 12 years ago, is that Correct.
1: 2011 so oh. not not quite 10 years ago
0: okay not okay and how okay so so you're setting up these camera traps um why just just out of out of curiosity were there i mean uh, people owning livestock who were like losing livestock were there just scientists that are just curious about are these cats still in the u.s like so in 2011 why do you start putting these traps up
1: You know, it was actually um, mitigation money because of the border wall. The border wall was required by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to do some kind of um, mitigation. Mitigation meaning do something that benefits wildlife. And the jaguar was one of the endangered species that lived on the border. They did mitigation for other species, um, some of the endangered bats. Uh, other endangered species the jaguar just happened to be one of them and we applied for that money and we um we got that um that that grant um so um it was specifically to monitor for jaguars along the border it had been a couple years i think not not quite two years since the last jaguar had been uh existing on the border so, you know, they come and go. That was the one had, that had lived for 13 years. And um, it was the oldest known jaguar in the wild. See, up here, they don't have to fight other males, right? You know, that. Yeah. so they, they I, I think they, and they have plenty of food. So they may get to live longer lives up here than, than in a crowded environment where they're constantly fighting for their ter- to maintain their territory.
0: Absolutely. And so I have a question. How long do you see your first jaguar after you, after you set up these camera traps? Because I am assuming that they are really elusive animals. Yeah.
1: So that one was interesting. We got the money in, uh, I think we, our, our grant was funded in October. And in November, a uh, lion hunter treed a jaguar. So a month after we got this money, we knew there was a Jaguar on the landscape. We were just in the process of applying for our permit. So we, we weren't allowed yet to start setting cameras on the ground, but we knew there was one. And that's the one I told you that occupied two different mountain ranges. So we tried to fast track permits for the mountain range where it was treed, but we were too late. It had already moved off to that second mountain range. Yeah. So we, um, We missed him in that first mountain range where he was treed by the lion hunter. But as we then started setting cameras, our study occupied 16 mountain ranges. So as we started setting cameras in those mountain ranges, we got detections very quickly. I think we had our first detection within four to five months after he was treed.
0: Wow. And do you celebrate when you see those first photos, like pop open the champagne, like this is our mail. Here we go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is very exciting. A lot of my um, team members, you know, they'll describe it like, oh, it's Christmas morning. You know, when you get your SD card and look through the pictures and you see that Jaguar, it is, it is very fun. Um, uh, That particular Jaguar, we ended up, detecting him about every two weeks. We were, he, we had him on camera every one to two weeks.
0: Wow. How exciting. Now, did you give him a scientific name or did you guys actually name him?
1: Um, I always call him the Sandarita Jaguar, but, um, the local people in Tucson, um, did give him a name. And so he's known as El Jefe.
0: El Jefe. Okay very interesting did you capture any other jaguars throughout this throughout your camera traps or just that one male?
1: Um, no so um, he disappeared we still to this day don't know what happened to him in uh, in 2015 in September um, in November of 2016 so almost exactly a year later two jaguars that same month came up from Mexico into two different mountain ranges and One of them is still here. We're still monitoring that one, and so that's almost for. He's going into his fourth year now. Um, The other one was only here for six months, and went back to Mexico. And um, someone saw a a jaguar, a a jaguar skin at a a ranch, at a farmer's ranch, and took a photograph of it. And we were able to match that, so we know that once he got back to Mexico, he did get shot. Oh,
0: so that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? So, oh my God. Yeah. So just with this conflict, are they, you know, very, I mean, for instance, as you know, here in the States, we have like the wolf, the huge wolf debate. I'm here in Idaho. So people are just like, you know, kill you know, smoke a pack a day type of people. And uh, well, I shouldn't say all Idahoans, but a lot of people are anti-wolf. And, um, you know, when you look at the data with wolves and we've had many conversations in the podcast, like less than 1% actually account, um, livestock fatalities to wolves. So like with jaguars, how often are they predating on farmers' livestock? Is it that detrimental?
1: Um, so in the diet study we did, um, we saw a very small amount of cattle in both the puma and the jaguar. So neither puma or jaguar are, are more inclined to predate on cattle. And um, it was a very small part of their diet mm-hmm. in either case, and they could be scavenged. Mm-hmm. You have no idea that they've actually predated. Um, in Arizona, I don't think I talk to ranchers ever that are um, opposed to jaguars, but we only have one or two at a time yeah. these days here, so that's not a huge threat. Um, in Mexico, it is different, but I, I do know um, that many of the ranchers, um, May set out a, a trap for a puma, which is legal, and if they accidentally catch a jaguar, they may not know what to do. They may not have the ability to anesthetize it and release it. They may feel like they have no option um, other than to kill it you know if, if there was more education on you can call a vet to help you out and release this animal, um, it may help but but I do know that there is um there is still um threat to jaguars in mexico even though it is protected
0: yeah i was going to say aren't they endangered so they're they're protected and they're okay yeah. is it just because there's not a lot of enforcement is that what's going on
1: yeah that that is an issue
0: okay okay so so you said you mentioned you only have around 2 right now that you're monitoring in the states <laughs>
1: Only one, because Only one. that one went back to Mexico and got killed. So we have one right now that's just, been here for four years.
0: Just one. I mean, do you think, Do you? I'm sure there's. there has to be some other males, don't you think? Or do you think that we just have one? I'm looking at my map. <laughs> do you think there's any hope that we have more well, than one? It, it,
1: you have to remember there's, um, you know, the the border wall um, is uh, increasing at a very fast rate. The border wall that was constructed in 2008 had a lot of uh, area that was very permeable. Uh-huh. In fact, of the 270 miles, I can speak mostly to Arizona, 270 miles in Arizona, only 200 of those miles were um Either solid or bollard. Bollard means there's four inch bars, jaguar, deer, pronghorn, black bears cannot get through. But that's only 70 miles out of 270. So most of those miles were um, what we call vehicle barrier. So the bars are, you know, four feet apart. They're changing that rapidly. And I haven't seen. Uh, exactly in in many of these wild areas um what is going in whether it's bollard or whether it's solid solid fence will even prevent potentially lizards and frogs from getting through um let alone you know the coyotes and the bobcats uh and the the coyotes so um an impermeable barrier is a, a real problem to wildlife and um um so, in the case of the jaguar, so we have <coughs> excuse me other endangered species like uh Sonoida mud turtle that is it we're extremely worried about it, the flat tailed horned lizard that are um where one population is threatened to get cut off from the other, and you know the, especially the Senoida mud turtle may be at risk for extinction due to wall construction um the jaguar is not going to go extinct due to the border wall. But as we were talking earlier, how these males are important to recolonize populations or recolonize or just strike out and, and form and found new populations that won't happen if you have a border wall and you're saying, Hey, well, when will the next males come? It's hard to say because I I'm not down on the border actually watching what's going on. But, um, it the uh, border wall if impermeable um you know walls are different types but an impermeable wall could um very much impede future dispersing males from coming into arizona
0: so a solid wall like would just completely destroy not even the jaguars but just all sorts of wildlife all the way down to the lizards
1: it depends on the type yeah they they've yeah. always put in three types of walls solid which is the what they call pedestrian fence, and that yep. keeps you know people. They usually kept that just around the cities. Then there was the bollard, which the bars were four inches apart, mm-hmm. and um, that was um, you know outside of the cities, but not in the wild areas. And then for the wild areas, they kept it to the, the vehicle barrier. Um, I I think the current fence construction is is eliminating the vehicle barrier, and that worries me because that is eliminating large animal traffic, if that's true. You know, that's not very permeable to large animals. Still permeable to small animals, but the large animals could take a big hit.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And just the fact that you said we just have one, I mean, we... <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. Right I, now. I can't yeah. wait.
0: We have one right now in the state. So I have a question. Have you ever seen him in person? No,
1: no. And I don't know anybody who has.
0: Really? So that elusive just because of their nocturnal behavior and just because they're just so elusive.
1: Yeah. A lot of people get photos, you know, hunters put cameras out, um, you know, other various individuals put cameras. So we're not the only ones who have photos. But um, that's the only way I know people that have seen him, is, or any of these three, is through photos. Does I it... actually don't know anybody who's in person seen him.
0: Wow. Do you, does it ever worry you with hunters who are hunting pumas that they might shoot this male?
1: Um. Well, y- you know, a lot of puma hunting is done... By first treeing the animal, getting it in a tree, and once it's in a tree, you would know the difference. so a hunter would have to be very unethical to shoot it because they would know very well what they had in the tree and and they and all hunters would know that it's in, endangered and protected um But I worry more that just the disturbance you know the hounds all cats run away from hounds you know having having these hounds around may um displace the animal for a while you know they they just don't like having that maybe they don't like having that activity um if it's in their area Are, but,
0: is is the puma hunting i'm just not is do they have i'm i'm assuming certain seasons for it is that correct
1: yes i i um i should know this better i don't think they hunt puma year round i think there is a season
0: Okay. And as a scientist, as a geneticist, do you think it's, and I know we're getting into controversial territory, so you don't have to answer this, but do you think it's like necessary to control the population with the hunting? Like, do you look at it like from a scientific view? Like, okay, we're, you know, I don't know. Does that make sense?
1: <laughs> from uh, it, it does. And we actually have a really neat study right now going on in Colorado where um, they stopped hunting for five years and we took genetic studies together with Colorado uh, Division of Wildlife. Um, And then they reinstated hunting for five years and we took genetic samples. And what we're looking at there is um, any change in reproduction. Hunting does, does remove the males that Would be the successful males, right? Because the hunters take out the big Tom. So we're looking at um, reproductive success of males and females under hunting and um, with hunting and without hunting. And, um, you know, also various other um, parameters of the population, you know, um, uh, territory size, you know, anything we can try to think to correlate with hunting and without hunting, um, effective population size, um, uh, uh, other things that managers would be interested in. So it's gonna be a really great study. My PhD student is just analyzing the data right now, so I don't have any um, answers for you quite yet. But I think um, there, there may, we may see some effects.
0: Okay, well we'll have to have you back on and talk about that. And Sorry, we got a little sidetracked.
1: <laughs> that would be great. Yes. Yeah. Or so, even my graduate student, you know, he may, might love to come and talk to you about ab- his results.
0: Absolutely. So, okay. So is there anything else you would like to discuss? This is so interesting. So the, the camera track work, we discussed the border wall. Um, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. If I'm listening right now, because I mean, for instance, a bucket list encounter would be to see Jaguars out in the wild. Is there a place you would suggest that would be the best place to go that maybe has the highest density that would increase my chances of seeing one of the most elusive animals in the Americas?
1: You know, from what I uh, know, I think it's got to be Brazil.
0: Brazil. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Brazil. Okay. And that would be phenomenal. Have you ever been down there to see them? I
1: haven't, but one of my team members has, I had a field team member, Jack, Child's So in 1996, two jaguars were photographed in Arizona. One, I'm sorry, they were not both in Arizona. Two jaguars, one right on the border in New Mexico, though, and one in Arizona. And Jack, they were both treated by lion hunters, who then photographed them and said, hey, there's jaguars here. You know, wow. this is really exciting. And Jack was one of those two lion hunters, and he just became... Uh, Uh, So uh, interested in jaguars, he became a self-made expert in jaguars, and he went down to Brazil to learn more about jaguars. He was my field team um, leader. For the project from 2011 through 2015, and he still consults with me all the time. The project now is run exclusively by citizen scientists. That would probably be the one thing I'd want to add. I have this team of 33 citizen scientists that volunteer their time to go check these cameras, and um, they're just amazing. The you know the the terrain is difficult. The roads are difficult, um, and, and, you know, they do this all on their own with their own vehicles and their own, um, you know, we just give them the cameras and the equipment and they do everything else and they're great.
0: How exciting just to set up these traps and has, so no one has gotten any footage yet in, of, of this one male in Arizona?
1: Um, uh, what do you mean by footage? Like we video? do have video. Like yes, we have vi- video and okay. um, and uh, stills okay. of the current. Um, we did we? I think we did also have video. I'd have to double check if we got video of the middle one, the one that was only here for six months. But sure. yeah, our detection span video and um, and still images of generally of all of our animals, including the ocelots. So you never asked me about ocelots. Well, let's do it. We have four four ocelots over the same time period. And one of the ocelots has been here for eight years. It's it's probably going on one of the longest lived ocelots ever. It's, It's close to 12 years old, we estimate now, which is really a long lived for an ocelot. And, um, uh, yeah, and we likewise we have video and stills of of the ocelots. Um, we've only had one ocelot for a long time. The, most of the ocelots were just on camera for about six months, except for this one, which has been on our site for tw- uh, for eight years. It's amazing.
0: Wow, and f- it just loves it here. I don't I don't blame them. Can you, for some listeners who are maybe new, uh, I, to, I guess, to learning about cats, can you explain what an ocelot is? Because I know they're not as known as the big jaguars.
1: The largest of this kind of small family of South American cats, there's the Tigrina, the Margay, and the ocelot. They all look very similar, and the ocelot is just the largest of those. Instead of spots, they kind of have sausages on their body, <laughs> you know, these long, long spots. They're beautiful, beautiful little cat, but they're not any bigger than a bobcat. Yeah, they're just bobcat sized.
0: That is so crazy that we have jaguars and ocelots here in the States. Just, just yeah. incredible. What is, well, I mean, ahead. Texas
1: has all the ocelots really. Yeah. We're just, we just have a very small view, but Texas is the ocelot state.
0: Yes. So as a scientist, um, what is your hope in the next 10 years, 20 years? Do you hope to have more of a thriving population in southern Arizona, in New Mexico of jaguars? Do you hope to have a female come up so we actually have some cubs? Like, is that your dream?
1: that would be great and for that to happen there needs to be some real conservation in mexico i worry about the population in mexico i i think that um it it seems to be lower in numbers now than it used to be so i i really think um that um there is there is pressure on that population you know it's not thriving like it should be um, maybe enforcement needs to be beefed up or, or programs to teach coexistence, you know, human, uh, uh human carnivore coexistence. There's a, a lot of ways I think that, that, um, that population could, um, thrive better
0: with, with the people. Do you think that ecotourism could save it in Mexico? I-
1: Absolutely. I think ecotourism could be great. I think that would be a great um, uh, addition.
0: Yeah. So to be, to basically, if if it's bringing money into the community, you know, a dead jaguar, I mean, a, a living jaguar is a lot better than a dead one. If it's, you know, stimulating that, that the locals and the money's going back, I think that's a great avenue.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, this has been amazing. I have, I I could pick your brain all day. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I want to give a shout out to your daughter who helped you with the whole Skype.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's great. I know. You- Everyone should have a teenage daughter that has technology. You know? Yes,
0: absolutely. Okay, so I have one last question for you. Are you ready for this? Uh huh. Okay, what is your favorite Jaguar fact?
1: Oh, um,. My favorite jaguar fact, um, I'm going to twist that a little bit. My favorite fact from our project is that we have, I think now when we got the first one, it just totally blew me away. And I think we have definitely three now mm-hmm. camera sites that have, No, I think actually four, that have all four cats. You know, so one spot on the landscape that has all four cats. Arizona's the only place in the U.S. that has four cats, right? Ja- uh, Texas has three cats because they've got ocelots and bobcats and pumas, and Maine has three cats because they've got the lynx and the puma and the bobcat, but Arizona has jaguar, ocelot, bobcat, and puma. We have four sites on the landscape that have all four cats at them you know where we go through the pictures and 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 four cats go by but we have one camera that got all four of them in 24 hours what isn't that amazing that is when amazing our, when our you know field guy was looking through the the um sd card you know there in the field he's like you know jaguar ocelot puma <laughs> bobcat were are like right after one <sighs> right after another isn't that amazing that
0: is amazing that they can
1: coexist like that you know in, in in time not just in space but also in time that wow. is amazing you... that that is the total most amazing thing to me about about this jaguar project
0: okay can i ask you can you please send me some photos that i could post for, oh, yeah. for people listening and then I'll put yeah. it on my Instagram and I'll put it on my Facebook. And, um, it, can you also maybe include a link, send me a link maybe where people can learn more about the Jaguar research. That would be amazing. Um, okay. Yeah. That I would will. be amazing. I have to see those photos. I just, how <laughs> I just fascinating. And I just, yeah. So
1: on the photos, do you, is it, I mean, we normally, um, put a watermark on them. Sure. Is that okay? Or, um, otherwise, we have to be very specific with you to credit the University of Arizona.
0: Absolutely, um, I, I Do, will,
1: you, I do you mind? The watermark goes across the animal.
0: Um, preferably, no watermark, and I and I can credit the university and tag if you need to get special permission. Um, that would be preferable. But if not, how
1: credit. would you? You would credit across the bottom. So, yep, I would yeah.
0: credit it. So it would okay. be, in, and they in, won't in be in the that. caption. And it won't be what? And they won't be downloadable. No, no. Well, I mean, someone, I mean, just any, like anyone today with an iPhone could like screenshot it and stuff, but, um, I can do, I can do the caption, we can do the credits and all that type of stuff. It won't be sold or anything, but it would just be a way for the listeners to see these incredible photos. Like I, from, from the camera traps, that would be amazing.
1: We will send you some photos, a link to learn more about the project. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. And I, can I, okay, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you ready for this one? Okay. Okay, can I help? I, I would love to help you one day with the camera traps. Would you allow me to be a volunteer to set one of these up one day? Um,
1: Sure. I mean, our volunteers <laughs> tend to not set them, but they, you come and check one with us.
0: Oh, my God. Come I would to love, a camera. I would love to do that. I would, <laughs> oh, my goodness. That would be a dream. I just find it so fascinating and you know, thank you, you know, once again for taking the time to talk about this and I just, thank you for your amazing work. I feel like we need more scientists like you out there.
1: Well, thanks. It was nice talking to you and um, yeah, I'd be happy to have you come down from Idaho anytime.
0: And please come on up to Idaho. We could show you some amazing wildlife as well. Maybe not jaguars though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No problem. I love all of it.
0: Awesome.
1: I, I might do that. I have a very good friend in sun Valley.
0: So oh, nice. Perfect. We could definitely when I come
1: up there. I might, I might call you.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much.